special because you know, he's got a small number here and a larger number here. Actually, maybe everyone's super special. How about we just settle with that? Why don't we pray one more time? God, thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us, that you're good for us, that you're gracious to us. Lord, please do speak. And don't, don't just let it be uh, useless information, but let it be life-changing for me and for us. Help us to see something of your goodness and your love and your greatness today, I pray. Amen. Today we're starting a brand new series. Uh, it's going to take us a couple of months, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through uh, the, the narrative parts, so the, the, the story parts of the Old Testament. So we're going to start with Genesis, and we're going to fly all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through. We're going to, going to end up through Samuel with Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, maybe even. We're going we're gonna to go from the start to basically the time of, of Israel's returning from exile, uh, which is a, is a lot to do. And I, I better tell you that this morning I was looking at Genesis chapter 1, and good, I said to Taryn, was it yesterday or the day before? I said, Taryn, I've managed to, to shorten my notes down from 17 pages to 15 pages. <laughs> a bit loud. Can I go down just a little bit, Steve? Uh, already Reg is saying, I don't want to hear that much. Uh, you will be glad to know that I have reduced it even further by a fair bit. But that's just to say there is so much that can be said about all of this. There's so much that can be said about one chapter. But you know what we're trying to do in this series is, is less looking at the details and more looking at the big picture. So that when we come together, if, if someone says to us, you know, what is the whole point of Exodus? We can go, well, it's ba-da-ba-ba. Hopefully we can, at the end of this, come out with one or two sentences and we understand the flow of God's story, the flow of God's story with us, the flow of history with us. So that, that's our aim for the next uh, few weeks. But why don't we start this week... My Bible's not here. Why don't we start with Genesis? Wayne, can we throw it up on the screen and I'll read it off the screen. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and then he separated light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came marking the first day. Then God said that there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. Uh, this is putting it into nice language, but the old, who knows the old word that goes there? Uh, the space to separate. Firmament. So, uh, in ancient thought, the firmament is it's literally, I don't know if anyone's watched the show The Dome. I haven't watched it, but it's about a dome that comes over a town. It's basically a dome. 
And if you, if you look into the history of what the ancient world thought, they thought, here's this firmament, what holds the dome up? Well, it's got to have sides, so at the very edges of the dome you have big mountains holding it up. That's, that's what the ancient world thought. But God made the space to uh, separate the waters from above and the waters from below, and he called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. And then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The lad produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruits. And their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. That's wonderful. I can read it from here. And evening passed and morning came. Thank you, Anna-Marie. Marking the third day. And then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that's what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God sets these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. And then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. That's interesting. He puts them in the sky, but they multiply on the earth. And evening passed passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. Uh, and the, another way of translating that apparently is, you know, domesticated animals, herd animals that are easily hunted, and animals that might attack you. Wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of predatory animals. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals. Sorry, I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that's what happened. And then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Uh, just by the way, uh, in Hebrew thought, if you spot, they like wrapping things up nicely. So verse 1 says, in the beginning God created 
the heavens. Let me just read it exactly to you. Go back one line. Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1, so the creations of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. It's, it's saying, here's the wrapping up that package nicely. But listen what happens. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then we carry on and and, uh, Genesis 2 uh, focuses in on the creation of man. But have a look um, at verse uh, 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and the birds and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. And so the Lord, caused, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woe-man because she was taken from man. He probably didn't pronounce it woe-man. Or maybe he did. Maybe he was pretty keen. Once upon a time, a little four-year-old boy walks up to his mother and says, Mom, I've got a question. Yes, what is it? He says, Mom... Where do I come from? And this poor mother thought, wow, you know, four years old. I thought I'd get a bit longer before I had to do this question. And so she starts and she, you know, the age-appropriate four-year-old way, she starts giving him a very simple birds and the bees talk and he's listening and he's nodding. And she says, do you understand at the end? And he says, yes. And as he turns to walk away, he says, that's really strange. Jeremy says he comes from South Australia. This morning, I want to suggest, (laughs) sometimes we can fall into the mistake of thinking that we are asking the right question or answering the right question when in fact the exact opposite is happening. Uh, I wonder whether sometimes we assume that we know what Genesis is on about and so maybe we miss out on what God is really saying to us and to humanity throughout time. And I think the important thing for us to do as we approach this passage, and in fact all passages, and especially the Old Testament, and the New Testament, but the Old Testament even more so, we have to remember that it wasn't written to us. The Old Testament was not written to us. It's the record of God's revealing himself to Israel, showing who he is to Israel, and and through them, and ultimately through Jesus, revealing himself, showing his character to the whole world. It is written for us. But it's not written to us. It was written to a people of a different language, of a different culture, who looked at the world totally different to us thousands of years ago. 
And when we read it, we have to look and go, well, it's not just what do I assume is being said here. We have to go, well, what actually is being said here? What would the people way back when have understood when they read this? This is the Word of God. It was the Word of God to the ancient Israelites thousands of years ago, as much as it is to us. And we need to make sure that as we look at it, we aren't just bringing our worldview and applying it and going, well, obviously it means this. Because we're in danger of maybe getting it wrong. And so we need to do a bit of hard work and we need to have a look and try and figure out exactly what it says. I mean, just as a little bit of an example, if we look at verse 1, famous verse, what does it say? It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, In English, when we say beginning, we mean the point in time where something starts. But in Hebrew, uh, the word beginning can often refer to a a period of time, the the initial period of the time. So uh, Job 8 verse 7, if we've got it on the screen there, uh, Job 8 verse 7 says, uh, uh, though your beginning was small, your later days will be very great. It's, It's just a random verse taken out there speaking about Job, but the point there is, Job's beginning is referring to the first part of his life. It's not, though your beginning, though you know the moment when you came into existence was small, the rest of your life will be great. It's saying, though the first part of your life was quite small, Job, the rest is going to be great. Um, in fact, if you look in the ancient world, uh, when a king became king, their reign started on the first day of the new year of their being king. And that time before the, you know, 1st of January in their calendar was known as the, the beginning of their reign. It's the, the starting period, the setup period. And so when we, when we read beginning, we've got, to, we've got to be thinking it's not necessarily just meaning a point in time, it's meaning the time of beginning. And then we read over here, God cre- in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we look at that and we go, well, when you create something, it means you take something out of that wasn't there and then you make it be there. But if you look at at the Hebrew thought, the the word can actually mean organizing. In fact, we've got the same idea in English because if I'm creating a cake, it means that I am constructing a cake, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I have gone out and grown the wheat and ground it down and made all the ingredients and then made the cake. Don't get me wrong, the Bible clearly teaches that God made everything out of nothing. Hebrews talks about that. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 talks about that. Through him all things were created. But maybe that's not what Genesis is talking about. I think Genesis, especially chapter 1, is less about making the ingredients for the cake and more about God bringing them together. It's more about cake making and less about the flour. In fact, if we look at verse 2, we're told that the earth was formless and there was darkness over the deep, which implies that there was stuff because there was deep that had a surface. Exactly how that works I don't know, because later on it's separated out and all that stuff, but there was a surface to this. There was stuff 
there. I see, I, I suspect that maybe Genesis is not interested in our how did it happen questions. That it's got some bigger story to tell us. And I think we see this, especially as we look through the days, uh, that, that the emphasis isn't on those how questions. Um, is for example, you have on day one, light being created. But it's only on day four that the sun and the moon and the stars are created. Now we can come up with all sorts of theories about, you know what, God created photons of light and for however long, four days, whatever, however long you want to disagree on that, uh, but, you know, God created photons, but there was no light source because God was creatively creating photons all the time. You know what we're doing there? I can see some quizzical looks on our faces because, you know, how do you have light without a light source? Maybe that's not the point. Maybe, maybe the story of Genesis is not interested in our how did that work questions. Maybe it's more interested in a bigger question. Have a look at, at what happens in day one. God creates this light and he creates this darkness. God is the one who is in charge. God is the one who brings order and functionality to creation. Have you ever wondered why God called the light day? It's light. It could have just God called the light light, and he called the darkness darkness, and that's it. Very next thing, you have evening, you have morning, first day. What changes there is that you go from one continual sameness to differentiation in time, day one, day two, day three, day four. Maybe what we're looking at in creation is God creating the function of time. Day two, we're told that God sets up this solid dome to separate the water from the sky. Um, Again, I'm not sure that we have to try and figure this out in terms of uh, scientific thinking because the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds all go in the same place in later days. We're not talking about the science of how this all works. But was God maybe setting up some sort of order on day two here? Maybe even setting up weather, separating out water above and water below. Water above will bring day, rain down below. Um, you can't have rain, you can't have irrigation, you cannot have the cycle of weather without the separation in order. If God hadn't done this, everything would be wet. So God has brought some order into this thing. And day three, God does two things. He separates out the water from the dry land and he makes the dry land produce vegetation. And then we go to day four. And like we said, there's this link back to day one. On this day, uh, God creates the lights to separate the day from the night. So we've got day and night, and now God has made lights to separate the day and the night. And they serve as signs, and they serve to mark sacred times, and they mark out days and years. If, if day one is about God creating time, day four is about God making it useful, is, is about God making use of time. 
and giving things to help us make use of time. The, the point of the sun and the moon and the stars is explicitly there. It's in order to help us mark out these different seasons and festivals and things like that. There's, there's a purpose to them, a utilization of the light. Day five is similar. We've got creatures in the water and in the sky. And what do they do? They, they make use of the water and the sky. They, they make what God made on day two useful. They, they bring f- the, the function of day two, you know, earth and, uh, sorry, water and sky, they, they, wow, talk about function. They use it. And then day six, God makes creatures on the land. He, he makes the land useful. And there are different kinds of creatures described, as I said, in terms of, I think, their usefulness. Number one, livestock. Really useful things, livestock. They give us burgers and milk. Secondly, you've got, you've got the, the, the uh, animals that often serve as prey, herd animals, and then you've got the wild predatory animals. And then on day six, God finally makes humanity, Hadam, in his image to rule over his creation, to be an authority over every other living thing. And, and then Genesis 2 speaks of God planting a garden and setting humanity to work, and their job is to spread the garden, which is basically uh, about bringing order that God had brought into that garden and spreading it out throughout the whole earth. Genesis 1 and 2 looks to me to be less about the how God did things and more to say, guys, I want you to know God is in charge and he has made this place and he has made it useful and he has made it good. See, that's one of those lines that's repeated over and over again, isn't it? And God saw that it was good. What does it mean for God to see that it was good? It doesn't mean that it was perfect. If, if we were supposed to think that it was perfect, they would have used, you know, they've got this word in Hebrew which means perfect. They would have used that word. God would have said, this is perfect. In fact, it cannot be perfect because if it was perfect on day one, why was God doing something else on day two? What if... Being good means working the way God means it to work. Functioning as it should. Able to fulfill God's intention for it. And I think, I think that's it. And, and I, one of the reasons I think that is because when we jump over to chapter 2, we see God looking at his creation and saying, it is not good for man to be alone. That throws all sorts of things into our ideas of of how the world was because God arrives at his perfect creation and says that's not good. Adam's job was to rule over the earth and to do that alone wouldn't work. You know, just as day four made day one better and more useful, in a way, woman made man better and more useful. Quote of the week. 
you know, because together they could fulfill God's command to rule and to subdue the earth. Adam would have had his work cut out for him. God said, this isn't the way I want it to be. You know, if you look at the rest of the ancient Near East, uh, their stories of creation speak about God's making humans to be their slaves. Uh, They speak about their gods needing people to meet the needs of the gods, you know, for food and worship and all those sort of things. But you know what's good about creation in Genesis is that it is God who meets our needs and not the other way around. God doesn't need time. God doesn't need weather. God doesn't need animals. God doesn't need sun or moon or stars. God doesn't need birds. God doesn't need us. God God is. He has always been. He was hovering above the surface of the deep. It wasn't like he was like, oh, I'm getting my feet wet. I better make some dry ground. God didn't need any of it. Everything is set up for us, his image bearers, his representatives, to thrive. What makes light and day good, what makes sun, moon, and stars useful is that they mark seasons and signs and times and Who cares about those things? Well, we do. What makes land good? Well, what what makes it useful is that you get animals on it. And what does God say about the animals? He says we're to rule over them. They're for us. All these things God has made not to benefit himself, but to benefit us. God made everything to work perfectly for us. And the most perfect thing about it is that it is God's world and it's a place where we can interact with God, a place where everything runs the way it should because God is in charge. Uh, John Walton, the Old Testament thinker who who I'm very indebted to, he he puts it this way, he says uh, that uh, in Genesis the universe is presented almost like God's B&B. When you set up a B&B, you set it up to work for your guests, and if you're a certain type of B&B host, you want to have interaction with them and, and, and you know, get to know them. That's what God has done. He has set up this universe for us with the intention of being with us. Uh, we don't have time to go into the depths of Genesis 2. Certainly, we're, we're going to be struggling to finish Genesis chapter 1. But I will point out one thing, which is really weird. You might have heard, uh, when we read that bit from Genesis 2, it kept speaking about the Lord God. And if you've got your Bibles open, you might see that the word Lord there is in capital letters. If you read through Genesis chapter 1, the word for God is Elohim, which is like generic word for God. But when you come to to Genesis chapter 2, which is all about God's relationship with humanity, God is referred to as Yahweh, which is pretty impressive because Yahweh has not been revealed until burning bush, Moses sees God there and says, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, it's me, Yahweh. It's, it, Yahweh is the personal name of covenant. It's the personal name of relationship between God and people. 
And so in Genesis chapter 2, where the focus is on God living with people, the name that is used there is Yahweh, because the whole point of this thing is being in a relationship with God. God had set it up so that we could be in a relationship with Him. What makes creation very good is that it is a life with God. God wants us to be with Him. And not even the fall can stand in the way of that. You know, Genesis tells of, Genesis 1, I think, describes God preparing a place for us. You ever heard that sort of language before? John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, as Jesus is heading towards the cross, he says to them, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you so that you will be where I am, and I will come and you will be with me. You see, God's purpose hasn't changed. God's purpose is that we live with Him. Creation was good because it was fit for purpose. But you know, the climax of creation is not humanity. Which, which is strange because I've just said that you know, everything was leading up and everything was good because it was made to be suitable for us. And that would be great if the story stopped at day six, but it doesn't because everything leads up to not the creation of humanity, but everything leads up to God resting. And again, if, if we put off our church hats for a minute and just think in terms of what would the average modern person think when they hear that someone is resting. Does it mean God was tired? Oh, it's been a tough six days. I really need to take a break and put my feet up. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that's not what the first readers of Genesis 1 would have thought as well. You rest. When do you rest? You rest when everything is as it should be when everything is as you want it. Unless you me, in which case you might do this a bit more often, you rest from your lawn mowing when the lawn is finished being mowed. Genesis 1 leads up to God's taking his rightful place as the sovereign ruler of all creation. God's resting is God's saying, it is done it is mine, and I take up my rule. God's rest doesn't mean a lack of activity. God's rest is his perfect rule. You remember what Jesus said? He said, come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus promised rest, but then he starts speaking about burdens and yokes. In other words, resting with Jesus doesn't mean not doing anything. It just means doing it with Jesus. It means living with God, serving God, walking together with God. The whole climax of Genesis chapter 1 is God making this place, inviting us, well, not just inviting us, making us and making it suitable for us but the climax is then God coming and saying, and I am here. 
and I am with you. And that's why it's so beautiful in Genesis 2, the, the concern that God shows for Adam and, and the concern that God, God shows. And we see this even in Genesis 3 where God is walking. They used to walk in the cool of the evening together, God and humanity. It's a beautiful picture of fantastic relationship. There's so much more I could say, but let me bring it to an end here. I think when we read the Bible, we've got to remember, like I said, it was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And if we're really going to get it, we need to actively stop using our modern assumptions. We have to go and we have to ask not just what do I assume it means, but what did it mean to humanity since always? What did it mean to the people who first heard it? Because if it meant something different, one of us is wrong. And if it was written to them, I'm probably going to go with what they understood. It's God's truth, God's word from the get-go. You know, we could have had a very different sermon today talking about the age of the earth and whether you think it's old or young and 24 literal hour days or you know all of that sort of thing, but... have those debates, but maybe that's not what Genesis is about. Maybe we only ask those questions of Genesis because that's the way we think in this day and age. Maybe the big point of Genesis is not to answer our questions of science or questions of how. Maybe it's to tell us that God made this for us. He made it good for us and he wanted to be with us. I mean, the big story of the Bible is exactly that, that God wants to be with us. And, and then we're going to see in a couple of weeks or, or next week rather how that fell down, how we became sinners, how this creation was messed up, how we've fallen short of God, how we are prisoners of sin and death, how we desperately try and find meaning in a world that seems so meaningless And I think Genesis 1 and 2 want to take us to that and go, this is not what God wanted. This has never been God's intent. Sin has never been part of what God wanted. God didn't look at sin and go, it is good. But because God loves us so much and because he made it for us and because he wants to be with us, he looked at it And he said, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to rescue and restore. I'm not just going to wipe out the infection. I'm going to act to save. I'm going to bring people back into that relationship with me where they can be with me where I am. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, I think the big point is to say God is in charge But God has had us on his heart since before time began. He has had our names written on his heart since before time began. And what he wants is to make it perfect so that we can live with him, under him, that we can rule under him. Genesis 1 and 2 isn't about science, it's about the heart of God. In Mark uh, chapter 14, we 
we read about this heart of God. As they were eating a final supper together, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. The covenant. The thing which brings us back into relationship with God. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. i tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn They went out to the Mount of Olives where he was arrested, betrayed, taken off to trial, executed, and three days later rose to life again. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, of the new agreement. And he stepped in to make it possible for us to be with God. He showed us God's heart. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Genesis 1 shows us the heart of God, but if you want to see that, if you need more clarity, look to Jesus. Today, as we're going to share communion together. I'm going to invite you each to come up to the front if you would like to partake of communion. Grab a piece of bread, grab some of the grape juice and in your own time take that and just speak to God. Maybe thank Him for the fact that He loves you so much. Maybe say to Him, God, I want that. Maybe say, God, I've messed up so much. But thank you that your heart is big enough to rescue me. Come up. Have some communion. Take it with you. We'll, we'll share the cup together um, at the end. But I invite you to come forward.